This episode includes depictions of graphic violence, harm against a minor, racism, colonization, and apartheid. Listener discretion is advised, especially for listeners under 13. Please note, the story you're about to hear is not a direct retelling of any one story of the Tokolosh. Today's episode combines features from a number of Hosa and Zulu legends for dramatic effect. Hello everyone, I'm Vanessa Richardson, and welcome to Mythical Monsters, a Spotify original from Parcast. This week we begin a perilous journey through a land of beastly tricksters. The first is a goblin-like creature from South Africa. He helps witches cause all kinds of misfortune, from spoiling milk to ruining careers. But he's much more dangerous than a simple pest. According to some accounts, if you lay your eyes on a tokolosh, it could mean certain death. This witch's familiar might sound like something out of nightmares, but for some Zulu and Hosa people, he's very, very real. This is Mythical Monsters, Mischievous Monsters. You can find all episodes of Mythical Monsters and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. Coming up, a murderous goblin hides in plain sight. We got another day of NBA action. And with FanDuel, every night is a watch party. So it's time for your FanDuel crew to make their bets. So, what's the move tonight, gang? You know that new customers who bet $5 get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Woohoo! We're heating up, fam. Bet all the stars with all your friends and make every moment more only on FanDuel. New customers bet $5, get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Make every moment more with FanDuel. It goes down in the field. It go down. It go down in the field. 21 plus and present in Virginia. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. See full terms at FanDuel.com slash sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like... What the f*** is going on? Forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. For many Zulu and Hosa people in South Africa, the supernatural is a fact of life. For example, in 1984, a survey found that more than half of black South Africans training in Western medicine believed that witchcraft was a very real power in the world. Recent surveys have suggested that traditional folk healers significantly outnumber Western doctors in the country. One Zulu title for these practitioners is Sangoma. They're often hired to protect someone suffering from illness or ill luck. But occasionally, instead of curing misfortune, they cause it. Witches sometimes gather up pieces of human and animal corpses, knitting them together to form a tokolosh. 
There's disagreement about the specifics of the creature's appearance, but he's always small, goblin-like, and usually very hairy. Some say he's a composite of human and baboon. These animal-like qualities reflect his usual role as a witch's familiar, but his powers are nothing like what you'd see during an American Halloween. The Tokolosh uses dream magic to wreak havoc in the real world, traumatizing victims so badly that they never recover. He spoils crops, steals cattle, and makes women and men infertile. He can possess people, shapeshift, and even turn invisible. But you don't want to see a Tokolosh either. If you do, you'll be doomed to die. When a Tokolosh is around, you should never trust your eyes. Namble was a new mother, and she had done everything right. So why did she feel like she was failing? Nothing was going right. Her husband's cattle kept wandering off, the chickens went missing, and little Lindelwa never slept. Her screams shook the whole house. It felt like Namble had spent the entire day rocking Lindelwa back and forth, her teeth chattering every time the baby wailed. She'd finally gotten Lindelwa to sleep in her crib when she heard it, a rustling in the paddock. Namble stepped outside quickly. She wasn't going to let anyone destroy her baby's hard-earned sleep. But there was nothing near the house, no curious cattle or lost chickens. She looked everywhere and could find no cause. Perturbed, she headed back inside. The click-clack of beads filled the hut. Namble froze. Earlier, she'd been working on a new neck piece for a cousin. It was a beautiful, double-stranded necklace of white beads. It had bits of wood, roots, and cow hair woven in to protect the wearer. But Namble had put her supplies away, or at least she thought she had. Now, they rolled across the floor in front of Lindelwa's bed. Namble looked around the small room. Is someone there? She asked. Perhaps one of the village children had come in and started playing with the necklace. There was no answer. She ventured again. Come now, little one, there's nowhere to hide. Still no answer, only clacking. Then small running feet. Namble only caught a glimpse of something as it disappeared behind the bed. She crept forward. There was a figure hiding beneath the mattress with the stature of a child, but it was far too hairy to be one. Namble's breath died in her throat. The thing's silhouette had a wide head and pointed ears. Suddenly, the missing cows and chickens made sense. Something had been playing tricks on her, hunting her, stalking her. It was a tokolosh. Namble shut her eyes tight and held perfectly still. She knew that both she and Lindelwa were in grave danger. If either of them looked into the Tokolosh's eyes, they would die. <coughs> Lindelwa let out a gurgle, then a laugh. Namble's breath caught in her throat. Lindelwa had no idea of the danger. She had to protect her. 
She grabbed her husband's axe from the table and placed her hand over her eyes. She rushed over to the bed. Then she swung. A high-pitched laugh echoed around the room. Namble let out a cry of rage and struck again. She swung until her arm grew tired and limp. She dropped the axe to the ground. Namble paused, fingers still over her eyes, waiting, hoping that she'd killed the Tokolosh, praying that she'd saved her little girl. She couldn't hear the creature laughing, but she couldn't hear Lindelwa anymore either. Namble's heart dropped. She slid her hand away slowly. Lindelwa was lying where Namble had left her. Her bright eyes were glittering, her smile adoring, frozen in joy. It had been an accident, the cruelest trick the Tokolosh could play, but that didn't matter. It was Namble, not the Tokolosh, that had decapitated her daughter. Coming up, the Tokolosh isn't done with Namble. What could be more shocking than uncovering the deep, dark secrets behind history's biggest stories? Realizing that everything you thought was true was a lie. Hi, it's Carter from the ParCast series, Conspiracy Theories. Every Monday and Wednesday, take a closer look at the blurred line between fact and fiction and discover that there may be more to the so-called truth than you think. From the government's link to Bigfoot and the otherworldly secrets of the Vatican, to the Grateful Dead's role in the spread of LSD, and more. On Conspiracy Theories, we leave no stone unturned and no skeptic unheard. Some may just be outlandish claims. Others may make you rethink everything. Follow the Spotify original from ParCast, Conspiracy Theories. Listen free only on Spotify. Now back to the story. The courtroom was a sea of white. No, not white, pink. The Afrikaners, descendants of Dutch colonizers, were ruddy-faced and pale-haired. It was very rare for Namble to see this many of them. Apartheid had confined her and the other black South Africans to the outer townships. But she'd been brought into the city to this white court to stand trial for murder. The murder of her own child. Namble knew some English, but not much. Certainly not enough to fully understand what her advocate was telling the magistrate. But judging by the magistrate's laughter, it wasn't going well. Her advocate was a tall man, pale like the rest, and covered in freckles. He kept his voice even as he spoke. It was self-defense. She believed she was in mortal danger. The magistrate guffawed. The legal standard for a claim of self-defense is the judgment of a reasonable man, counselor. Are you suggesting a reasonable man would believe a... He squinted at his papers. Gremlin scared her into butchering her baby? Each word felt like the brutal blow of an axe, just like the axe Namble had used to kill Lindelwa. Tears came to her eyes. For just a moment, she'd forgotten. 
but it had all come crashing back. She tried to make the advocate understand that someone, a witch, must have had a grudge against her. That was why the Tokaloche came to her, why Lindelwa had died. The advocate was still talking. Many locals believe in this creature, sir. It is reasonable within their culture. The magistrate didn't let him finish. He kept repeating that word reasonable with more and more contempt. Apparently, the two men didn't agree on what the word meant. They were still arguing when court ended for the day. The guards dragged Namble back to jail without a ruling. Namble's cell was freezing. Mist blew in from the cape, clinging to the sickly yellow walls. She heard snatches of protest songs every now and then from the political prisoners, but mostly it was coughing, moaning, hunger. It was even worse at night. At night, she felt somehow both completely alone and constantly watched. The clothes they'd given her were covered in brown stains, threadbare and torn. Namble pulled the thin fabric around her as tightly as possible as she curled up on the blood-stained cot. She tried to lean back against the wall, but the chill from the sea had turned the surface to frost. She was finally settling into a fitful sleep when sharp claws skittered up her spine. Namble yelped. She tumbled off the bed and onto the floor. She shut her eyes tight. Why wasn't it done? She thought. The Tokoloche had ruined her life. It had taken her child from her. She was very likely headed to an execution. What else could it want? Whoever had sent this monster after her was carrying a serious grudge. But Namble was on good terms with all the witches in her village. Or at least she thought she was. Something slid along the floor. Namble cracked one eye open just enough to see a small tray enter her cell. Eat, the guard said. Then he rounded the corner of the cell block and disappeared from sight. Namble was terrified of the Tokoloche, but this was the first time she'd seen food in days, so she fixed her gaze on the tray and inched closer. It was a single scrambled egg. There were no utensils, but she didn't care. She reached forward to scoop it up, but it was slimy beneath her fingers. Namble blinked, and the world seemed to rearrange itself around her. A moment ago, the egg had been sickly yellow and partially burnt, but it had still looked edible. Now, white fuzz suddenly bloomed across its gelatinous gray surface. Namble retched. It was the Tokaloche tormenting her. She would not be eating tonight. Namble shut her eyes again. She fumbled back onto the bed and laid down, but sleep wouldn't come. She heard every sound in the echoey halls of the prison. She could feel motion around her, close, too close. Namble turned to lay on her side, her back to the door. She put her hands over her ears, but she still felt it. A puckish laugh shook the air. Namble bit down on her lip to keep herself from looking. The Tokaloche had many ways to torture her, but as long as she didn't see it, she would not die. 
She knew her case was dire. The magistrate thought her a common killer. It wouldn't surprise her if she was sentenced to death tomorrow. But she was still alive. There was still a chance for her. And until the gavel fell, or she took her last breath, she wouldn't give in. She wasn't going to let the demon that killed her daughter win. She took one breath after another, slower and slower, until she'd found a gentler rhythm. Then she began to hum one of the snatches of song she'd heard earlier. No one else joined her, but she still hummed. It soothed her. It also meant she didn't hear the tokolosh. Namble didn't realize it was close until she felt a small hand slide along her shoulder blade. She stifled a scream. The small hand squeezed her arm. She expected those long, sharp fingers to tear her skin, but they only held her there in a vice-like grip. Perhaps it was waiting for her to move, to scream, but she wouldn't do it. She wouldn't give it the satisfaction. So she lay there, perfectly still, hour after hour. Her muscles cramped and her skin itched beneath its slimy touch. A scream stuck in her throat, tearing it raw from the inside. She watched a small sliver of sun enter her cell through the barred window. It grew until it made a thin, glowing line on the wall. The tokolosh squeezed her arm one more time, almost gently. Then the hand was gone. Namble finally let out the wail she'd been holding in for hours. She buried her face in the dirty mattress and cried until she couldn't cry anymore. The next morning, Namble met with her lawyer. She whispered to him, You must go to my village and find my husband. A witch has sent her tokolosh after me. He will help you find the witch I have wronged. It will save my life. Please. The lawyer pursed his lips. I'm not sure that's going to help with the magistrate's objections. Namble grew angry. I don't care. The tokolosh is the reason for all of this. I can't let him live. If I can't do anything for myself, at least I can do this for Lindelwa. The lawyer nodded sharply. Namble had no illusions that he believed her, but she knew he would see how important this was to her. Of course, I'll go find your husband. Namble smiled in gratitude. Thank you, thank you, thank you. She clung to that small ray of hope all day and past sunset. But then the night came. And so did the tokolosh. (laughs) The cruel laughter filled her cell. She closed her eyes and pressed her face into her cot. She just needed to wait a little longer. One more night. Her husband would help the Afrikaners find the witch. The tokolosh would be gone. The laugh became a voice. That's an awful lot to wager on an Afrikaner. Namble couldn't help it. Her eyes snapped open for just a moment. She saw a flash of rotting flesh, then shut them again. Red-hot rage burst through her fear. You, you made me kill my child. (laughs) Now that's an even better joke. I didn't make you do anything. You tried to kill me, remember? Namble needed to be careful. Tokoloshas were tricksters. She remained noncommittal. 
I never had a chance. She could hear the smile in the Tokolosha's voice. What if I gave you one? A chance to change everything back to the way it was. If you beat me, you'll have your baby back in your arms. Namblay knew that the Tokolosh had powers, but raising the dead? It seemed impossible. Namblay considered it. Then she shook her head. How can I beat you if I can't even see you? The Tokolosh was rocking back and forth on the bed like a child. There's one way to fix that. We go into the land of dreams. Namblay swallowed. She didn't know when her husband might find the Tokolosh's witch, if he could find her at all. And this gave her a chance, however small, to get Lindelwa back. She had to agree. All right, Tokolosh. She felt the floor fall away beneath her. The Tokolosh's laughter echoed all around the space. The scale of the dream world was impossible to comprehend. It felt taller than the greatest cathedral and wider than a mountaintop. Namble called out into the emptiness. What's so funny? Oh, Namble, the Tokolosh chortled. You're in my world now. Coming up, Namble and the Tokolosh wage a war in dreams. Now back to the story. You can open your eyes, Namble. Namble didn't want to follow the Tokolosh's orders. She didn't want to think of how badly she'd miscalculated. Lindelwa was gone, and it was her fault. And now she'd gone from an Afrikaner prison to being trapped in her own dream world. Her life was just one mistake after another. The Tokolosh cooed at her. Come on, it's not that bad. At least we're together. Now open. Namble's eyes opened on their own. How did you do that? She asked. The Tokolosh shrugged. My world, remember? Your eyes are technically closed in the waking world. Don't worry. He was a squat little figure with a death-like pallor and many missing teeth. His eyes had been gouged out, yet he moved as if he could see. There was a bloody hole in the top of his head, but the chasm it opened into was red and puffy, like it had been cauterized with great heat. He was such a small thing, cobbled together from animal and human corpses, yet he'd caused so much pain. Namble spoke, You never intended to give me a chance to defeat you, did you? The Tokolosh gasped in mock outrage. How dare you, madam? That would be a base trick, and I am a Tokolosh of boundless creativity. I have every intention of giving you a chance to get your baby back. You need only resist my incredible wit, and you will go free. Namble narrowed her eyes. It can't be that easy. The Tokolosh's face remained in a fixed smile, unreadable. It won't be easy in that I am hilarious, but surely a motivated woman such as yourself can handle it. Namble pursed her lips, but she didn't have an alternative. Fine. The Tokolosh's smile widened. 
Excellent. Sit down, won't you? Namble found herself sitting before the thought even crossed her mind. She could see no chair, yet she felt it beneath her. The Tokolosh gave a small hop. Now then, I'll tell you a story. Once upon a time, there was a king and a queen. They lived in a small castle in a small village. The queen gave birth to a small princess. Their joy was immeasurable. In time, they had many more children and many more friends. Their village became a vibrant city. But then they discovered something very frightening indeed. He stepped closer and closer as he spoke. Namble tried to push backward, but she realized an invisible force bound her to her chair. The world was far larger than they realized. Monsters attacked them. Great slimy serpents invaded their castle. Horrible giants knocked down their great citadel. They all fled underground. Soon they were only a fraction of what they'd once been. Still, even as the screams of their children filled their ears, they made plans to build again. He smirked. The king and the queen, what are they? Namble blinked at him. That's not a joke, that's a riddle. The Tokolo shook his head. It is both. Now, answer me. Namble's mouth fell open, but no words came out. It felt as if someone was pulling her jaw apart until it nearly tore in two. She let out a scream. The pain subsided suddenly. She looked up to see the Tokolosh wincing in apology. Sorry, I got excited. What's your solution? Namble racked her brain. She hated riddles. Life was a puzzle enough. She was used to solving problems at home, dealing with sick cows and chickens, removing insect nests if they got too near the pens. Then she realized, insects, ants, she said. The Tokolosh stopped grinning. You cheated. Namble couldn't help but feel proud of herself. I did not. I just solved your riddle, joke, whatever it was. The Tokolosh put his hands on his hips and began to pace. I don't think you understand the joke. It's funny because they build and build and never get anywhere. Namble didn't even have to think about it. They make many great things. They are destroyed, of course, but so are all things in time. That doesn't make them less valuable. The Tokolosh glared at her. No, you're wrong. Laugh. Namble remained stoic. No. Laugh. No. I said, laugh. Namble felt a buzz of electricity all around her. She giggled just once, then again and again until she couldn't stop. Even when she clamped her mouth shut, the laughs bubbled up from her stomach like hot magma burning all the way. Namble gritted her teeth to staunch the laughter. It doesn't matter what you do to me. My husband will find your witch. This night will end. The Tokolosh gave her a pitying look. They will not find the witch, Namble, because there is no witch to find. I am my own Tokolosh. 
a rare thing, it's true, but these are rare times. The Afrikaners took my witch away. She swung on the scaffold two months ago. He looked solemn for the briefest of moments. Then he shrugged. But it happens. She made me from dead things. Now she's a dead thing. Such is life. Namble stood there, stunned. It didn't make sense. Why then? Why me? The Tokolosh grinned at her. His bloody eyes glistened in the dark. Because the world is unjust and broken and not fair. But most of all, it's funny. Don't you think? Namble tried to scream, to cry, but it was no use. This Tokolosh was made to get revenge. With no witch to command him, he'd wanted to punish the world, so he'd taken over hers. Back in the waking world, Namble jerked in her sleep. It was the last time she made any sign of waking. She was released from prison, given into her husband's care. Still, she remained asleep. She lived many years, only stirring every decade or two. Each time, she let out a loud laugh. Then she went silent. In 1933, a Hosa man in his early 20s named Dumi Mbambela was approached by two boys in his village. They said they'd seen a shadow with small feet moving in the barn. The three of them concluded it was a tokolosh. Dumi picked up his mother's axe and headed into the dark space. He put his hand over his eyes, knowing that looking at the creature would mean his death. He attacked the tokolosh, killing it. When he opened his eyes, he found a horrible sight. He decapitated his young cousin. Dumi's case was a watershed moment in the clash between colonial authority and indigenous tradition. His lawyer argued that Dumi's actions could be attributed to a mistake of fact, but the judge in the case said that a reasonable man wouldn't have believed in the Tokolosh in the first place. Similar cases of mistaken identity have occurred at least two more times in South Africa. One was in 1960, when a man stabbed his roommate while engaging in a dream battle with a tokolosh. Another occurred in 1992, where a sleeping man woke to an attack by the goblin-like monster. When he struck out in panic, he hit a two-year-old child. None of the judges in these cases accepted the claims of mistake of fact or self-defense outright, but they couldn't fully discount them either. The Tokolosh's power over certain parts of the populace was undeniable. In colonized South Africa, the creature was more than a symptom of one person's envy for another. Its very existence hinted at things that the colonizer law couldn't control. No amount of Afrikaner power could stop a witch or their tokolosh. Thanks for listening to Mythical Monsters. We'll be back next week with another mischievous monster. You can find all episodes of Mythical Monsters and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. I'll see you next time.
Mythical Monsters is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound design by Kenny Hobbs, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Travis Clark. This episode of Mythical Monsters was written by Lil D. Ritter and Jen Richet, with writing assistance by Molly Quinlan and Nora Battelle, fact-checking by Bennett Logan, and research by Adriana Gomez. I'm Vanessa Richardson.